So here we are with our study through Colossians picking up. Today, we're going to focus on chapter three, verses one through four. But it's always important to keep the context. So we want to follow through here because the first four verses of chapter three are Paul's final word on what he has already been saying. So in these verses, Paul is concluding his refutation of the philosophy of the false teachers who are troubling the Colossians. So once we get to verse five, we're moving really away from the the more the doctrinal portion of the letter, and we're coming to the practical application. So from 3.5 on to the rest, we're looking at practical application. But here, as I said, Paul is uh, finishing up his um, argument against these false teachers. Now, their message is one of strict adherence to powerless religious rituals in order to attain spiritual perfection. And that's indicated there in verse 20. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Uh, Observe the Jewish festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths. And these false teachers were saying, if if you do this, then you're really going to be gaining some ground spiritually. You're really going to be spiritual and accepted by God if you adopt these things, if you add these things onto your faith in Christ. But Paul the Apostle, he says, not so. Even though these things might look spiritual, they are of no value in bringing a person into the level of holiness that God calls us to and has provided for us in Christ. You see, these false teachers are saying, in order to be really holy, like as holy as God wants you to be, you need to engage in these kinds of rituals and practices. Paul says, no, not so. The the kind of holiness that God is calling us to cannot be found in these earthly things. This holiness comes from our relationship with Christ. Um, Professor N.T. Wright, who was also the Bishop of Durham, um, he's an Anglican scholar, and he wrote a commentary on the New Testament. And uh, in his a commentary on Colossians, he does a translation from the Greek of the whole text of Colossians. Let me read to you his translation of chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. I think his translation really makes Paul's argument clear here. He says this, these are the sort of regulations and teachings that mere humans invent. They may give an appearance of wisdom since they promote a do-it-yourself religion, a kind of humility and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no use when it comes to dealing with physical self-indulgence. Wright goes on to say, so that's the passage, then he goes on to comment on it. He says, these are simply regulations that function at a worldly level you will merely be giving up a worldly self-indulgence of a sensual kind for a worldly self-indulgence of a spiritual kind. So he's saying that, look, 
By doing this, all you're doing is you're going from one form of indulgence to another. Uh, the do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, that's all worldly, or uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the things that they were engaged with as uh, what we would call immoral Colossians, uh, idolaters, all of the sexual deviation and all of that sort of stuff, Paul says, okay, you're moving away from that. That's physical self-indulgence, but you're just, or, or uh, worldly self-indulgence. Now you're just going to move to more of a, it's a, still a self-indulgence, but it's spiritual. And so he says, it may well have the appearance of wisdom, but it won't actually attain the goal. It won't succeed in making you genuinely holy through and through. You see, because only Christ can do that. Um, you know, if, if you stop and think about it, you think about all of these kinds of things. And, and again, Paul refers to what these uh, teachers were insinuating. They came from a Jewish background, so they're emphasizing the, the festivals, the holy days, the dietary regulations, and so forth. Um, but whether it's Jewish in nature or just in, in other forms of religion, you have all of these external things. And if you stop and think about it, you, you just have to think like, well, how could observance of these things do anything to really change a person from the inside out? And the answer is they can't. They don't. They never have. And that's what Paul is really getting at here. Only Christ can do that. And so, since you've died and risen with Christ, and you are in him and he is in you, there's nothing more for you to do than to simply realize and embrace who you are in Christ and what is yours because you are in Christ. So what, what Paul wants them to understand, and we talked about this previously when we looked at uh, the, the fact that we're complete in Christ, remember? Paul's just saying to them, look, this, this stuff is of no benefit. Oh yeah, it said look spiritual, but it's not. It's not helpful. The answer is not in any of these things. The answer is in Christ and in going deep in him. And so he says in chapter three, verse one, if then, or it could be translated, since then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So this is what we do as Christians. As Christians, we do not uh, come out of either just, you know, pure uh, sinfulness or some religious ritual and then uh, add more religious ritual as, as a Christian, no, we come out of all of that and we come into to Christ himself and, and we seek Christ. I mean, I just think in my mind of, um, you know, so many different manifestations of Christianity, but a Christianity that's really been corrupted in some ways where the emphasis and the focus is on anything and everything but Christ. Now, I've mentioned before that I grew up in a Roman Catholic context and I'm not you know, saying this as a put down to any Catholics, but but I remember back in those days, 
I mean, there was an emphasis on so many things. There was an emphasis, of course, on the mass, and there was the emphasis on personally on making sure you had been to confession, and there was an emphasis on um, the various saints and praying to them. And I remember uh, praying through the rosary diligently, and, and all of these things, the candle lighting and all of that. But where was Christ? Uh, there, there was no... Uh, pointing to Christ as the ultimate, and he's the one that we just need to be seeking him. And that's the problem. And that's the problem that Paul is arguing against here. And so he is basically telling us that in Christ, we are above all these human systems, human systems that are, are developed for the purpose of self-justification, self-righteousness, or self-improvement. You see, that's what every religion is. It's based on me trying to justify myself before God through my diligent observance of these things, or me trying to present a righteousness to God that's acceptable to him because look at what I've done. I've worked so hard at this. I've tried so hard. I've devoted myself to this. Now here's the righteousness that I'm bringing to you. Or God, I, I'm just trying to be the best person I can. I've been working on this self-improvement. That's what all of this is. Paul says that's all part of the system that is of the world. He says, You've, you have been raised in Christ. So we are basically above all of that. We are not to entangle ourselves in these futile efforts to purify and perfect ourselves. That's what they are. They're futile efforts to purify and, and perfect ourselves. We're not to entangle ourselves in these things, Paul says, but we are to complete. Uh, turn away from them completely and seek Christ alone. You see, it's in Christ that all of the spiritual perfection you'll ever need is, is going to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. Uh, again, let me quote from N.T. Wright. He put it beautifully. He said, you need to come out altogether from the worldly sphere presided over by the elemental spirits, the shadowy powers that operate within the present creation, doomed as it is to decay and perish. Now, he's, he's referring back to what, what Paul said. He said that all of these things do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, all of this stuff, it's all connected to the basic principles of the world or the elemental spirits of the world. We talked about that in a previous message. Uh, right here is saying that we just need to come out altogether from that sphere. He says, you need to belong instead to God's new world, the new creation that is being brought in to replace the old. The truly human life you seek, and when he's talking about the truly human life here, he's talking about the truly human life that it, that is godly, that we are seeking as the people of God, the truly human life you seek, the life of a genuine, glad holiness that runs right through the personality 
is to be found in the new world. And the good news is that if you belong to Christ, you already do belong to the new world. You see, as it, this is the deal. Faith in Christ and the religion that we commonly call Christianity, I'll just use that term because it's commonly referred to that, is high, Christianity is as high above uh, the earth as the heavens are as high above the earth. All the other religious systems, all of the other ideas about how a person is to get right with God, they're all just firmly planted here on the ground. And that's it. That's why um, some have, I think, uh, accurately pictured religion as people standing on the ground reaching up to heaven on their tiptoes with their fingers stretched out, doing their best to try to connect to the heavens. That is religion. Paul is saying that that's the best religion could do. We have something that's so much higher than that. We're, we're not dealing with the earth anymore. We are in this heavenly thing where Christ is. And so he says then, if you're then raised with Christ Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So this is what we're to do as the people of God. We're not to get caught up in these ritualistic kinds of things thinking that, oh, somehow this is going to make me a a better Christian or this is going to perfect me or this is going to do for me what I can't seem to do for myself. It's already done by Christ. But what do we do? We are to seek the things above. What are the things that are above? Well, they're the things of the Spirit. You see, as God's people, our lives are really just to be taken up, consumed. Our primary passion in life is to be the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? Well, the love of Christ. I'm to seek the love of Christ. I'm to just grow in that experience of the love of Christ. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord, that, those are the things that are above. The, that is uh, connected to those things of the Spirit. The, the joy of the Lord, that I would be walking in the love of Christ, in the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, that I would be experiencing the peace of God, living in the peace of God, the fruit of the Spirit. So you see, seeking the things that are above I'm seeking these things, but how am I doing that? Well, I'm seeking Christ himself. And you see, as we seek Christ through his word, as we take it and as we ingest it, as we seek Christ through communicating with him in prayer, as we seek Christ through uh, the experience of the other members of his family, and as we hear about the work of God in another person's life, I'm seeking Christ, I'm hearing about Christ, and I'm taking that truth about Christ into my own life. That's what we're talking about. Uh, The things of the Spirit, of course, would include the will and the purpose of God. So you see, that's what it means. Seek the things uh, that are above. I'm, I'm seeking the things that have to do with Christ. Christ is... At the end of the day, Christ is everything. 
And so whatever I'm doing, in, at the end, everything's going back to him. I'm seeking those things. He says here, set your mind on things above. And the, the picture of setting your mind here is really to be fixated on. And you know how somebody can get fixated on something? And you know sometimes that's, that's uh, not so good. I mean, sometimes people can fixate on a negative thing. But then other people, you know, they, you know it, there can be a good thing as well. Well, this is a good thing. Be fixated on Christ. Let him be like, this is, this is your, your primary focus. That's what he's talking about. So uh, set your mind on things above. And then he says this, not on the earth. See, again, all of those other things that we just talked about, those are all, they're all connected to the earth. So Paul says, no, don't fixate on those things. Don't set your heart or your affection on those things. Don't think that that's what your relationship with God is about, that you now fixate on these these little things here and there, these, these different rituals and these habits and these practices and things. No, that's not it. Because in fixating on that, you, you miss the point. You miss the point of the relationship with Christ. So not on the things of the earth. Now, let me just say that this does not refer to the joys and pleasures that God has built into his creation. Now, some people have mistakenly thought that as a Christian, I am just to be so disconnected from the world that I don't enjoy it, that I don't experience any pleasure here, that I just think of the world in negative terms. It's all about sin and darkness and all of that. Well, let's not forget that this is still our father's world, despite the fact that it has uh, come under the curse of sin, despite the fact that it is under the the indirect dominion of the devil. It's still God's world. And so when Paul says uh, not to set our minds on the things of the earth, like I said, he's not saying that we're to uh, have a disdain for nature or anything like that. Of course, through nature, we can glorify God. We see things that help us to understand even more his glory and his beauty and his wonder and his greatness. So let's just be clear about that. But what he's talking about when he says not on the things of the earth, he's talking about the godless system that dominates human life and civilization. That's what he's talking about. Not to set our our minds on those things. And like I said, those things include these religious types of things as well. They're, They're all connected together. Like uh, N.T. Wright said, there, one of them is a sensual uh, worldliness, the other is a spiritual worldliness. And so here we can look more at the sensual part of things, and Paul's going to actually address that when we get to the fifth uh, verse, so that'll come in our next study. But when we think about not setting our affection or, or focusing our attention or fixating on the earth, again, we're talking about the world in the negative sense, as a system. And John describes it in his first letter in chapter two, verses 15 through 17, where he says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, or you could say the desires of the flesh, the lust or desires of the eyes, 
and the pride of life. These are not of the Father, but they are of the world. So what is he talking about? The lust of the flesh. He's talking about the passions that, that drive us. The passions that the world uh, are, are consumed with. And we see it all around us. And we see it especially in our generation uh, with the issues of sexuality. And, and this isn't new to our generation. Of course, in, in the first century, they had the same problems with this passion and these sensual lust and desires. And many of the worship uh, means in those days, the, the idolatrous temples and so forth, they revolved around these passions. And so the, the passions, the desires of the body, sexual or it could just be greed. It can just be uh, selfishness, those kinds of things. So he's talking about that. He's talking about the lust of the eyes. And you could just define this as possessions. The lust of the eyes. I see that. I desire that. I want to possess that. It could refer to materialism. And then uh, finally, he says the pride of life which speaks of position. And so these are the things in the world. This is what people fixate on. They want to gain a position in the world. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to uh, have notoriety and so forth. These are the things that those who are earthbound, these are the things they're consumed with. Paul says, not so with you. Um, Don't fixate on the things of the earth but rather, he says, on the things that are above. And then he says, for you died. For you died. When Christ died, we died with him. That is taught over and over again in Scripture. One of the main things Paul longs for the new Christians to realize is what is already true of them in Christ. Because Christ and his people are so closely bound up with one another, he lays it down as a basic principle. What is true of Christ is true of his people. So he died, we died. We died with Christ when he died. Now, it may not feel like that at times, right? Isn't it true that a lot of times we feel like um, our passions are very much alive? We feel like our desires for the wrong things are very much uh, a part of who we are. This is where we have to understand how this works. As a Christian, Paul tells us that we uh, are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. Now, we died with Christ, but even though we at times don't feel like that, we are to consider that to be the reality, and we are to act not upon how we feel, but we're to act upon that fact. And so, although it may not feel at times like we died with Christ, learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. It's an essential part of being a Christian. You see, if I'm going to make headway 
as a Christian, if I'm going to grow and be freed up from those things that hold me down, I've got to begin to recognize that it doesn't matter how I feel. This is where people are tripped up all the time. And especially in this current moment in the history of Western society, especially where everything comes down to what you are, what you feel. The Bible says no. And if you're in Christ, you are absolutely not what you feel. You might feel very much alive to sin. You might feel very much alive to certain passions. You might still be very much attracted to certain things, but know this, you're dead. That's what you need to know. You're dead. And so even though it doesn't feel like you're dead, you need to know that you're dead. This is what the life of faith is about. This is how we walk by faith. I say, I know I have these feelings, but I also know a greater truth. And the greater truth is that I'm dead. So I do not let these feelings control me. I let God control me. I let his word direct me. I let his spirit empower me. And I trust that these feelings will get dealt with along the way. I don't give in to the feeling. And so when... when um, Paul is talking here about uh, having died. What, what is he talking about that we've died to? Well, we've died to the world. We've died to the, this, this world and all of its glitz and all of its glory and all of its attraction and all of those things. The, those things are now dead to us. So the world is to have no more power over us than it would over a dead person. A dead person is not attracted to the world any longer. They're dead. And so even though we might feel attracted, we have to just stand on that reality. You know, I'm dead to this. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conduct myself as though I'm dead to this. And like I said, then the, the feelings will, will change, at least to some degree, uh, enough to bring us out from under that heavy kind of bondage and oppression. But we're also, we died to sin. And again, this is where Paul says uh, uh, that we are to reckon ourselves uh, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So sin is to have no more power over us than it would over a dead person. A dead person doesn't sin. That's the, the, you know, it's, it's, all of that is now the past. So we died with Christ. That's, that's what Paul is arguing here. And, Thirdly, we died to self. We died to self. And so often our biggest problem is that we're still way too much alive to self or we're feeling that we're alive to self and then we're acting on those feelings. A fundamental fact about the Christian is that we have died with Christ. So that's a truth. That's a fundamental biblical truth. And now we're to live out that truth. And Paul puts it like this. He says, therefore, we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So we, this is, Paul says, this is, this is how we understand things. That if one died for all, Christ died for all, then we all died. 
So we're no longer to live for ourselves, but we are to live for the one who died for us and rose again. You see, the Christian is one who is living for Christ. We're living for Christ. We're no longer living for the world. We're dead to it. We're no longer living to sin. We're dead to it. We're no longer living to self. We've died to self to live for Christ. And then he says, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, our best life is not now. Our best life is later. God has a life for us in eternity. He has, he has forever. He has a life for us there. And so our life is hidden now with Christ in God. That's how I need to understand my life here in this world. I'm no longer my own. I was bought with a price. And now my life is hidden my life is, is tucked away in Christ, waiting for that time in eternity when Christ, who is our life, appears. We're going to appear with him, and then we will live our best life then. And you see, the early Christians understood this, and many generations of Christians have understood this, and Christians today understand this, but we've got to make sure we all understand this. Our life is hidden. With Christ in God. You know, this passage, this verse speaks to me about all of those who, for Christ's sake, have chosen to live and labor in obscurity. To live and labor in obscurity, uh, hidden away, perhaps, from the eyes of the world, living among some unreached people group feeding on Christ for their fulfillment and content to one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, this has been the story of many of, of God's servants over the years. They, they really grasped this fact that my life is now hidden with Christ in God. They came to Christ and the life that they had, I think of two people that come to mind. I recently heard about them on the wonderful podcast uh, women Worth Knowing. That's the new name for Cheryl and Jasmine's podcast. But uh, two people that they talked about that, that exemplify what I'm talking about here, uh, one was named Lilius Trotter. And Lilius Trotter, back in the 1800s, she was an amazing young woman, very, very gifted artistically, um, part of the aristocratic uh, community in, in London, and on her way to being uh, her, uh, an artist all you know, in her own right. And yet in her faith in Christ led her to just get up and leave it all behind. And she went and she spent the majority of her life in South Af uh, South Am North Africa, <laughs> North Africa ministering in the regions there to those large Muslim populations. But the point is, she, she left this, um, this position in society. She left this, this promising career that would have uh, elevated her in the eyes of so many, probably made her uh, personally wealthy 
and certainly would have given her the kind of notoriety. Her, her gifting as an artist uh, was such that had she not done what she did uh, in art school today, you would be probably referencing her. That's how amazing her gift was. But she left it all behind. And she went off and she lived a life of obscurity there in North Africa. She served Jesus her life and, and basically just gave it up. And, and that's what we're talking about. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And so for us today, when we come to Christ, uh, now it's time to, okay, Lord, I, I came to you. You created me, first of all. You purchased me with your blood. I belong to you, Lord. My life is not mine. My life is yours. And we allow him to do what he wants to do. Another example, really quickly, uh, is a man by the name of um, C.T. Studd. It's all, all of these people often went by their first <laughs> and middle initials and then their last name. But C.T. Studd is another case in point. He was, um, he was a, a great cricketer. Now, in case you don't know what a cricketer is, a cricketer is a person who played cricket. Now, cricket is a game that I think was invented in England. Um, it's a game that's very famous uh, all around the world, especially where the British Commonwealth is or the British Empire once extended its power. Uh, everybody around the world knows about cricket except Americans because we don't play it. Um, and I lived in England for some years and I still don't even know how, how I can't make heads or tails of cricket. But anyway, C.T. Stead was this extraordinary cricketer he was, uh, he played for Cambridge, Cambridge University. He was from the aristocracy. His family was extremely wealthy. And while he was uh, playing cricket at Cambridge, the American evangelist D.L. Moody came to Cambridge and he preached. And this ch changed the life of this young man, C.T. Studd, and a number of others. There's a book if you can get a hold of it, called the Cambridge Seven, which is fantastic, about these seven young men in Cambridge University who came to faith and then went and impacted the world as missionaries. But what they did, C.T. Studd, what he did is what this verse is talking about. His life was hid with Christ in God. So he not only gave away his fortune, he had a, a tremendous fortune. He gave it away for the sake of the gospel. And then he went and he lived his life in obscurity. Now, some people would say, what a waste. This guy was, was maybe the most uh, well-known cricketer of his generation, maybe the best player of his generation. And he just walked away from all of that to go live in, where did he go? He went to China. He went to India. He died ultimately in Africa back in the late 1800s period of time. I mean, why didn't he... Why didn't he just take his, his cricket skills and serve Jesus with that? Now, he probably could have done that. But God called him, obviously, to something else. And for him, he understood that I died. C.T. Studd died. And now his life is hid with Christ in God. And he went off into these obscure places where people couldn't care less about his background. They couldn't care less about his fame as a cricketer. All they knew is this man has brought us the truth of eternal salvation. And, and when I think of Lilius Trotter, when I think of C.T. Studd, and of course, 
those are going back a number of generations. And there are people today that we could uh, see similar things with. But this is the idea that we give ourselves over. We recognize that we died. We died to the lust of our flesh. We died to religious systems that, that we're trying to improve ourselves through. We died to our personal ambitions and desires for greatness. And we have just allowed God to take what is rightfully his, our lives, and do with him according to his purpose. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And then he says this, when Christ who is our life appears. You see, there's nothing that we give up that will not be um, replaced by the Lord and a, and a million fold. Um, at, at one point, remember the disciples themselves, the, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, they said to him, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What, what does that look like for us? Jesus said, no one's given up anything. Father, mother, family, uh, property, wealth. No one's given up anything that they won't be reimbursed a hundredfold in this life and then life in the age to come. So you see, as we lay down our lives for Christ, as we allow our lives to be hidden with Christ in God, we're not losing anything, at least not in the big picture. We might lose something temporarily, but what we gain, even in this life, far outweighs that. I gain a relationship with Christ. I think of that great uh, Jim Elliott quote, uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's it. Giving up what we cannot keep. We can't keep our lives anyway. We can't hold on to our fame. We can't hold on to our greatness. We can't hold on to our materialism. It's all fleeting. It's all going to go. Uh, but if we give it up now, if we put it at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, my life is yours, then, then we are setting ourselves up for, for the future. And when Christ who is, keyword, our life, that's the key. Christ is our life. And that's really what Paul's talking about through all of this. Again, remember, no, don't, don't go back. Don't drift into these religious things. Christ is your life. And that's what the Christian life is. You know, I was talking to my 19-year-old grandson just yesterday. And he was telling me how he's realizing, and, and he's, he's seen it all around him. Um, he used to be part of a youth group in New York City where he lived. And he was telling me, he said, you know, not one of those kids in that group are walking with Jesus today. And he said, it's, it was really troubling him. And he said, but you know, I've, I've been realizing that you got to give it all. You got to give everything to Jesus. And I said, yes, amen. And that is exactly what we do. Because Christ, if we are believers, Christ is our life. He's our life now. He's our life into eternity. And when Christ appears, verse four, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. Let's never forget this. Christ will come again. We need to remember that. We need to remember that everything that Jesus did when he came the first time was all preparation for his coming again. You see, when Jesus came the first time, he laid the foundation for the kingdom. The kingdom has to be built on righteousness and justice and truth. And Jesus came and he laid that foundation with his own life. He shed his own blood to lay that lasting foundation. And a foundation, of course, is the beginning, right? So he laid the foundation for the kingdom. He's building his kingdom. He's going to ultimately build his kingdom and he's going to come back to do it. Let's never forget that, that Christ will come again. He is going to return. He didn't just come and die on the cross and rise again and ascend back to heaven to just let, you know, eons upon eons pass by. No, he has a plan to come back and to establish that kingdom. And I think that that time is drawing near. Of course, we don't know exactly when it might be. But it seems to me, based upon all of the things in the world and the prophetic word and all of that, that it can't be all that far out into the future. I certainly do not think it's, it's going to in any way be as long as it's been since the Lord left. I think we're, we're right down. We're coming right down to the, to the very end of the age. But know this, that Christ will appear. And here's the promise. When he appears, we will appear with him in glory. You see, that's the beautiful thing. We are, we're, we're giving up our lives now and we're saving them for the future. And, but yet in, in the interim, it's not like we get nothing. We get Christ. We have Christ. And there's nothing in the world that can compare to Christ. There's, there's no amount of money there are no possessions. There are no relationships with people. There's no position that you could hold that could even remotely compare to knowing Christ and living in relationship with him. And so he is going to appear and we will appear with him. And then we will live that life, that best life. But for now, let's give ourselves entirely to him, to his plan, to his purpose. Let us be all about the things of the spirit. That's who we are. We're the people of God. We're the people of the spirit. Let's be all about the things of the spirit. Let's be all about the things of the kingdom. Let's be all about Christ. That's, that's the best life there is, being all about Christ. Being all about Christ, he is our righteousness he is our joy. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our life. And if we know that, and if we are right in the midst of that, oh, how happy we will be. But let me just say this. There's, there, there's so much work to still be done. The Lord is going to appear in his glory, but in the meantime, he wants to use us. But you know, he, he won't be able to use us 
if we're dabbling around with the stuff of the earth, if we're fixated on my own thing, or I want to do this, and I want to be popular with that group, or any, you know, if, if that's, or I got to get those possessions, I've got to attain this, let's, let's let go of that. And let the Lord put us where he wants us to be. Like I mentioned with Lilius Trotter and C.T. Studd, they could have gone on. The Lord could have led them to, Lilius Trotter could have become that world-renowned artist. Uh, C.T. Studd could have gone on his uh, success as as a uh, cricketer and, and used that for the glory of God. That's possible too. But God had something else for them. Let's just make sure that we are our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And whatever that looks like, let, let's let Jesus unfold that for us. And we will know that that is the best there is. It doesn't get any better than that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just help us to grab hold of these great truths that concerning Christ, that our life is in him that he is our life. Lord, that we would not be uh, trapped down here on this level of, of the earth, whether it be through uh, religious bondage or through bondage to sin or any of those other things. But Lord, we would be soaring with you in Christ. So Lord, do that in us, we pray. Work that through us. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's... Uh, watching today, I pray that you, Lord, would help them to yield themselves entirely to you. For those that are struggling, trying to still somehow perfect themselves through some ritual or something, Lord, just free them from that once and forever. For those who are bound up in some kind of sin, Lord, let them know that you have the key to free them. Help them not to be bound by their feelings, but help them to be set free by the truth of the gospel. And Lord, take our lives and may they be hidden in Christ with God until you appear in your glory. In Jesus' name.